So let me start by sharing with you our key verse for this entire series as we've looked at 2020 vision. And this is in the book of Psalms and King David wrote these words. And here's what he said. He said, let me, your servant, walk in abundance of life. And that's one of our key phrases, to walk in abundance of life, that I, that I may always live to obey your truth. Open my eyes, there's the 2020 vision part, to see the miracle wonders hidden in your word. So there's this thing about living and walking in abundance of life and having our eyes open to the miracle wonders in God's word that comes as we have this opportunity, this choice we make really to live according to God's truth, to make that our foundation and our core. So I started this series by telling you about a visit to the eye doctor and we've all been there and they put that you know, big thing in front and they dial it all in and then they ask you that ever important question, which is better, this or this? Which is better, A or B? Now what we've done is we've applied that same kind of choice in getting our vision dialed in to spiritual insight. And the choice is always my way, my wisdom, my strength, my control, or choosing God's way, choosing his clear vision so that I can walk in abundance of life and see the miracle wonders in his word. And so through this series, we're gonna be taking a look at some of those core issues of life and how we tend to wrestle between, can I trust God's way in this or do I want to do my way in this? And we looked at, at relationships and friendships last week. We're going to be looking at marriage. By the way, I would really encourage you to be here next weekend. It's going to be an amazing day. We're going to look at marriage. We're going to look at parenting. We're going to be looking at things like conflict. You know, because you, you think there's probably a handful of things in life that, that seem to engage us at multiple levels. If you're a student at school, if uh, you're not a student, it's probably the workplace or those kinds of things. It's home, it's life, it's all those things. And we wrestle again between A and B, God's way or my control. And today we're going to actually dive into kind of a sticky subject and kind of a challenging one. It makes us nervous at times. But if you think about it, it's one of those things that, uh, that tends to rise up pretty heavily in life. And we can sometimes be consumed by fear and anxiety. We can struggle through all this. And it has to do with our finances. It has to do with our resources that we have. And so we're just going to take an honest look. This is not Dave's course on economics or financial security or anything like that. It's simply a look at what God has to say. Because the Bible has a lot to say about this area because it so consumes us and controls us in many ways. So I don't know if you've ever been stuck. And, and I don't mean like, uh, I'm stuck on this crossword puzzle. I mean like physically stuck. So uh, back a few years ago, we were having to add on a little part to our house because we bought our house when we had two children and we had one bathroom and then we had four children and one bathroom. And just in case you wanna know, it doesn't work, okay? It does not work at all. And so we added on a little bit of extra space and a bedroom and, and a bathroom and did all that. And so our foundation of our home, of course, was sealed around the edges. We have a crawl space underneath. And so we needed to add on that part. And so we did. And so I had to dig out underneath the old foundation, one little segment so that I could crawl into the new section. Just as simple as that. 
So I'd gone back and forth. And one day uh, I was going under there to work on something and I'm crawling through on my back and I feel myself just kind of get wedged in tight. And that's a weird, weird feeling to know. It's like, I can't go back and I can't move forward. And you start thinking about those archeological digs where they find bones and all those things. And people wondering, I wonder what happened to that guy? You know, he was here one day and then he's just gone. And you know, you could just see yourself. So it was that weird, you know, uh, feeling. And by the way, I wasn't thinking about archeological stuff at the time. I was too busy hyperventilating and doing that. But I managed to get tool, cause I'd gone in with my tool belt. So I got my tools out, took my belt off and I was managed, I managed to get through. But it's a weird feeling. And here's the thing, most of the time, we're stuck before we realize we're stuck. Does that make sense? When we look back, we go, you know, I was stuck a little earlier than I thought in this. Sometimes we just don't want to admit it. Sometimes we think, oh no, there's going to be, you know, a, a, a magic ending that's going to come to this and I'm going to get through, it's going to be no problem. But most of the time, we really are stuck before it fully becomes a realization for us. So I have a few questions uh, or statements, I guess, that maybe you can just kind of process through, having to do with stuck as it, regard, as it kind, of, um, uh, kind of pertains to this area of our finances and our resources. Here's the thing. If you spend more than you make, you're stuck. Does that make sense? If you don't know whether you spend more than you make, you're stuck. If you don't care that you might be spending more than you make, guess what? You're stuck. If you owe more on your car than it's worth, you're stuck. If paying the minimum on your credit card, you know that minimum monthly payment has become a way of life for you, I hate to tell you, but man, you're in a stuck place. And if you think paying the minimum on your card is really smart, good financial wisdom, you're stuck. Now, here's the thing. You will look around, because some of you would go, man, that's me and some of those. But the problem is we look around and we realize, well, everyone else seems to be stuck too. So here's what we've decided, and this is kind of a Western culture thing. We've decided that that's just how life is. And so we're just gonna live like that. And before we get too far into this, I wanna clear the air uh, and just let you know, as I, as I sit up here, that our family's been stuck too. So I'm not coming from any kind of place that's just like we've got this all together and there've never been any issues in our life. We've had car repair bills that were overwhelming. We've got kids in college, which holy cow, that's a whole thing. Uh, we've made bad decisions. Yep, I think we've all done that. No matter where you are on the economic scale, we've all made decisions that we regret, that we wish we could redo. So I'm right with you. But there is anxiety and fear when it comes to money these days. And we find ourselves anxious about jobs. We're anxious about the economy, the future of our nation in general. We see this coming year as an election year, and there's just so much division and rancor in our country. And we think, man, what's next? And so it makes us fearful about everything. And so our tendency in those moments is to grab on tight and say, I got to be my own security. I've got to make this happen uh, myself. And so in that, we have a choice. Remember the eye doctor, A or B? We know that B is our fear and our struggle and our control and trying to figure it all out on our own. Or there's this choice to go A, 
God's way. And today we're gonna see what God has to say about money and possessions and our heart. And he wants us, I believe, to break out from this place we've been, maybe in fear and control, to actually live in something free and something new. Because God tells us from the very beginning, this is not what he's trying to get out of us, wring out of us and pull out of us. This is something he's trying to provide for us, to make us free, to pour out his blessings on us. Now, I know some of you don't like the idea of mixing money and spiritual things. It makes you nervous uh, because you've seen things about televangelists and all the crazy stuff like that. That's why there's no more offering coming today. We did all that. There's no pressure today. So just like take a deep breath and relax. And if you have been at that place wondering, it's like, well, I don't know, you know, spiritual things and financial things. Think about this. If we don't go to the Bible to find out about these things, where are we turning? Capital One? Like, like they don't have an ulterior motive in this or, or your bank or financial institution? Believe me, they have a motive in this. God's motive is for you, not what he can get from you. So we're gonna understand what God has to say about this so that we can live in uh, let go of fear and we can live in faith. So we're gonna talk about that today, whole fear or faith thing. And this is the question, are you gonna be trapped by that or are you gonna thrive in faith? So if you're there in Matthew 25, I wanna read you a parable, which is literally a story with a spiritual point that Jesus tells. And some of you have heard this before, but I want you to see it again. We're gonna start at verse 14. Jesus said this, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used, or some versions say how they had managed his money. And the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five to invest. I have earned five more. And the master was full of praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. And I love these words. Let's celebrate together. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. The servant who received the two bags came forward and said, Master, you gave me two of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I want you to see something there just real quick, and then we're going to finish the rest of it. You notice that the praise and the master saying, well done, has, it doesn't matter like how much they started with or how much they made from it. The praise and him saying, well done, is good no matter where they were at in the process, which is good news for us. Because sometimes we think, oh, this is only for certain people, and I'm struggling here. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you have. God has something for you. So it says this, then the servant with the one bag of silver, dun, dun, dun. You have to read that in there. It's not in the scripture, but here's where it all turns. He said, master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. And the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. 
If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags. To those who use well what they are given, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless service into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I know that last line for us is like gulp, right? That's a tough one. And we we read through that story and we go, man, I don't... I don't maybe know where I quite fit in that. I would like to be on that end, but, but maybe, maybe I'm struggling through this. So what I want you to do is take a deep breath and don't read yourself into this too much, but I want you to catch this part. Jesus said, to those who use well what they are given. And the implication is, whatever that is, even more will be given and they will have an abundance, not a place of scarcity or lack, but a place of abundance. And this this just isn't all about dollars and cents. It's about every arena of life. Now in this story, when the master comes back, the first two, of course, have doubled and they're given all sorts of praise. But again, that real story is the last guy who when the master returns says, I was afraid. I was afraid. And so what he did was, is he simply clutched onto it. Now I know he buried it and all that, but it was this way of control and safety. He didn't invest it. He didn't use it because his fear was it could be gone. And the point that Jesus makes is that there is something, and I want you to catch this, there is something worse than losing what you have. And I know we think, but but what if I lost my home? Or what if I couldn't do this? Or what if I couldn't? We have a ton of, of what ifs. But Jesus is saying there's actually something deeper. There's actually something more profound. And the question is this, what have we put our security and our foundation is in that becomes liable to loss? Are we holding on to things that are temporary and that we really They really could be gone, or are we investing in things? Are we taking hold of things that actually can't be taken, that are actually eternal in nature? nature. So Jesus is letting us know there is joy, and there is freedom, and there is security, which is often what we're striving for. There's security in following God's way, his perfect 2020 vision. So I'm going to give you a few things, and I want you to write these down. This is going to get uh, between perspective today and practical today. So the first is this. Everything I have belongs to God. This is a perspective thing. This is a a kind of a thinking shift that that is the foundation for it all. Everything I have belongs to God. Now look at verse 14 again. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a trip He called together his servants, gave them money to invest for him while he was gone. Now, there's a few key things in there, right? Called together whose servants? His servants. And gave them whose money? His money. To invest for who? Him. So you you understand the story that it's all his. And of course, Jesus is making the implication that all that we have belongs to God. Now, there's a really important word that uh, we learn when we're little. Uh, you learned it 
when you were probably just a toddler, when you first started talking, your kids learned it. If you have grandkids, they're learning it. And it's this word that they are able to, even if your, ki your kids or grandkids, if their speech was a little later in coming, they learn this word with incredible clarity. And it's the word mine. And they will use it every chance they get. That's mine. That's my toy. That's my mommy. That's my cookie. And especially if they have siblings, they will they will yell that at each other. Mine, it belongs to me. And we, as parents, right, if you have kids, you have stepped in, I guarantee you, to those situations and you go, hey now, hey now. We like to share, right? This is what we do. We tell kids, no, you don't do that. We go, this is, this is what you need to learn. And then we turn around and we go, hey, that's my car. That's my house. That's my retirement. It's my job. And we, we go right back into that. And I'll tell you, man, this... This is a fatal disease. It's a fatal disease. It will, it will rob us of life. But for all of us who have come to the place where we begin to realize that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die in our place for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free, so that we could know life, we learn a critical truth that ultimately it's not mine it's all his. I mean, right down to the breath that we breathe. It's a gift from him. And so I begin to realize, oh, it's not my car. It's, it's his. It's not my job. It's his. It's not, it's not my family. It's, it's his. It's not my house. It's all from him. Now, I will tell you, uh, something you might want to try is when you're uh, property taxes are due, just tell the county, it's not my house. Uh -huh. <laughs> then, you can, then you can even be tricky. It's actually my father's house, you know, and you can do that kind of a thing. I don't know how well it will, will, will work, but you can try it. Or maybe if the DMV, it's not my car, you know, it belongs to him. So you can send the registration to heaven. You know, that would work really well. But see, a lot of us go through in this mind, mind, mind mentality. And someday, someday we're all going to stand before God. And there's going to be this dawning realization, oh, this was all yours, wasn't it? It wasn't mine. It belonged to you. And God wants us to learn that and know that now because it puts us in a different place. It allows us to move with gratitude rather than ego. It allows us to move with that sense of, of thankfulness rather than a sense of, you know, uh, expectation or entitlement because he's given it to us. In fact, I have two little sub things. I want you to write these down just as reminders. The first is this. All I have is a gift from God. So it's all his, but he puts it into my hands. Look what it says in, in 1 Corinthians 4. What makes you better than anyone else? What do you have? Here's this key line that God hasn't given you. And if all you have is from God, why boast as though you've accomplished something on your own? It's all a gift from him. Now, the second part is this, write this down. I belong to God. It's not only the stuff, it's me, it's you. We belong to God. Here's what Peter wrote. He said, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you 
with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him for this purpose long before the world began. But now in these final days, he was sent to the earth for all to see. And he did this for you. Jesus paid a ransom, a ransom for you and for me. That's incredible because he loves us, because he wants us, and he bought us out of the slavery of sin. And as that passage says, he didn't pay for us with gold or silver, but with the most precious thing in all the universe. He paid with the blood, the life of his own son. We don't even belong to ourselves. We belong to him. So we start with a kind of a game changer thinking saying it all belongs to him. So now let's get practical with it. Write this down for number two. I am responsible for managing God's resources. So if it all belongs to him and he's given and he's gifted these things to me, then my responsibility is to manage those for him. Look at verse 14 one more time. He says, he called together his servants and gave them money to invest for him. Now he uses a certain term there that we struggle with a little bit, but as hard as this is for everyone to grasp, it really defines our primary identity in life. And it's this, we're servants. We're servants. Because here's the deal, no matter who you are or where you are, we're all going to serve something or we're going to serve someone. We just do. Jesus said earlier in the book of Matthew that you cannot serve two masters. He said, you will ultimately only love one and ultimately despise the other. And he puts it in this context. You will either serve money in this word or you will serve God, but you cannot serve them both. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have money and serve God, but what, what becomes your primary? What becomes the thing that you worship most? You can't have two in that spot. Jesus said it's gonna be God or it's gonna be money. So which will it be? So let me ask you a question, okay? And I'm actually, I know some of you don't like this, but I have the microphone, so too bad. So here you go. I want you to actually respond with a raised hand if this is you. So you ready? How many of you have your own business? Yeah, a bunch of you across the room. So I'm gonna tell you something, and then I'm gonna ask the question again. So I need you to pay attention. All of us have been given a business. All of us, every single, it doesn't matter if you're in this room and you're nine years old or if you're 99 years old, we've all been given a business. And Jesus tells us, and we see it in this passage, that our business that we have is to manage God's money and resources for him. Now, how many of you have your own business? Yeah, okay, let me explain it one more time. No, I, I know. Some of you just don't like raising your hands. I get it. But, but here's the deal. That's the business that you've been given. Your business, your thing you do is to manage all that God has placed into your life, including money and finances and resources, but also time and talent and abilities. Now, the story we looked at is about managing it his way. Because you see, God expects you to take what you've been given and to do something with it. In other words, to do something with your life and all that's been placed in your hands. Some of what you've been given is going to bring an economic return. It's like, Dave, what do you mean by that? It means that you're gonna take your gifts and abilities and your time and you're gonna put those into action and you're gonna receive something back. You're gonna receive resources back. We call it a paycheck. 
So you're gonna go out and you're gonna work your job or whatever it is that you do for a living and you're taking resources and time and all that and you're gonna receive back this economic return. And here's the thing, you get to provide for your needs of your family, you get to do all those things at home. Uh, My guess is all of you came here today and you drove a car. So you're gonna have these resources and it's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a God thing. It's a good thing that he's given to you. But how do we make an impact with that? So I'm going to give you three really quick things. These are super practical that are part of God's clear vision for how we steward and how we manage his resources well. And these are some of the biggest tripping points for us, especially in our culture today. So write these down. The first way that we practically put this into motion is we eliminate debt. And in our culture today, we've lived with this expectation that, of course, we're just going to have debt. Now, the one exception, of course, this is to a home. There's just virtually no way we can do that without debt. It doesn't work that way. Even going back centuries, that's how it worked. So we understand that. But for most of us, it's consumer debt. It's credit cards. It's that easy credit. And it's gotten us into trouble. And I know there's probably a ton of you in this room that you feel like you're drowning. And you look at that every single month and you wish, I wish I could have that to apply towards the things that I need and and would love to make a difference in, but it's all going to things that happened in the past. And we find ourselves chained and enslaved really to debt. In fact, the Bible says this, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. And some of you sitting here today going, I know exactly what that's like because I feel it. So we take that step to eliminate it. The second thing is this, regularly save a percentage. Regularly save a percentage. So in just, in just a moment, uh, right before we close, we're gonna talk about what the Bible has to say about investing in God's kingdom. And, and the Bible talks about a percentage that it becomes this regular part. So it doesn't matter where you are on the scale, we can all engage in, in being part of God's plan for uh, building his kingdom and uh, making an impact in this world. So he's he's given us that. In the same way, we can also say on a regular basis, and it can be a very little bit or it can be a lot, I'm going to prepare for things I can't even see. I'm going to prepare for what's next. And we think, well, of course, that's just kind of, you know, sound financial advice. You realize this is what the Bible talks about. This is what the Bible tells us. It says this, "The the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. There's something about taking that step of wisdom to say, I'm going to save a percentage regularly. The third part of that is this, to invest in God's kingdom. And those three things together make this wise, kind of God's way, God's vision of navigating his resources to eliminate debt, to save regularly, and to invest in God's kingdom. Look at verse 16 in Matthew 25. The servant who received the five bags of gold began immediately to invest the money and soon doubled it. God knows that what he's given to you and to me brings about provision and resources of daily life. That's, that's the, just the things that we need. And that's really good. But he also invites you and I into the business of managing his resources that bring about a spiritual return, a God-honoring return, a kingdom return. And this isn't about investment strategies. It's trusting God and walking in obedience to that, saying, I'm going to invest in you, God. I'm putting my heart 
to follow with my resources because I want to worship you. When Jesus talks about that, you can't worship, you know, God or money and, you know, you can't do those things. He says, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart is as well. And I know for me and for our family, we want our heart to be continually drawn to God and his kingdom. So we invest and we give so that our heart follows that towards him. See, the thing in that story is you realize this guy never trusts God for that. He thought that the most important thing was not losing. But hear this, the greatest loss ever is to be given all that we've been given and not invest it for a spiritual return in God's kingdom and for his glory. Write this down for the last one and we'll close. God invites me to live his vision of blessing. God invites me to live his vision of blessing. Now look at 21, uh, verse 21 in Matthew 25. The master was full of praise. This is the part we like. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So we realize that it's his, it all belongs to him. He gives to us, gifts it to us, and he wants us to honor him with all that we've been given. And as we do that, he promises blessing. In fact, here's the truth. He is constantly blessing. It's just that we have chosen to stay outside of that, doing our own thing. But if we'll choose his way, we move into that place of blessing. Here's what he says in Malachi 3. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord Almighty, I will open the windows of heaven for you. And I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough to take it in. Then he says, try it. Let me prove it to you. He says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. Well, what's the tithe? The tithe literally means, it's not even a spiritual term, literally means 10%. And he says, come bring that to my house. And you may think, Dave, I can't even do that. That's not even possible for me. I'd love to, to live into that place of blessing, but it's just not. And I'll tell you, I know it's challenging. But the Bible also tells us we start somewhere. Rather than just living in places of fear and anxiety, we start somewhere and we take the first step of trusting. So let me finish with this. There are two kinds of givers. And I know we say that about everything. There are two kinds of people in this world, but there really are two kinds of givers. And one kind of giver does whatever they need to do in their life. They take care of everything. They live their life however they figure out is best for them. And then after everything has been done, that little bit that's left over, they'll say, hmm, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give this to God. And can I just tell you, that's plan B. That's my way. And I don't think it's because that plan doesn't want to give. It's just that we let fear kind of stare us down and we think, yeah, but what if? What if something happens? What, what, what if this? What about this? And we let fear rise to the top and we say, I've got to control. I've got to hold on. It's my only security. And I'm here to tell you, it's no security at all. And we find ourselves living by our own means and not trusting God at all. But there's a second type of giver. It's the giver that says, God has blessed me and he has given me enough. And I'm going to give out of the first part. Before anything else, right off the top, the first transfer I make, the first check I write, I'm gonna give that back to God and then I'm gonna manage my life with the rest. And I know it seems a little bit crazy, but I'll tell you, it's God's plan and it's plan A. 
And for some of us, it seems impossible because we've lived our lives in such a way, taken on such large amounts of debt that we actually have no margin. But there is a place you can start. And when you do that, what you're doing is saying, God, I trust you in this. And if you will take steps of faithfulness and obedience, you can begin to walk where God is blessing. So here's my challenge for you this week. Be praying about seeing God's vision clearly in this area. It's not about Dave. It's not about this church. It's this, do you trust God? You've given him your life and your eternity, but are you willing to trust him with what he's already given you? It's so easy to get stuck in places of fear and anxiety and the economy and a thousand other things, but there is incredible freedom and peace and blessing that comes when you trust God's vision, his way to experience life. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes this morning. So no one looking around. I want this just to be a private moment between you and God. And I know if you're around here on a regular basis, you know this is where I may ask you about your relationship with Christ. But what I'm gonna ask you today is something a little bit different. And it's this. Is this area, all that we've been talking about today, is this an area of fear for you? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel trapped? Do you feel like you're, you're enslaved to the borrower? Do you just feel like it's so overwhelming in this area? Because here's, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna take this prayer time and I wanna pray for you. Pray for each of us, but pray for you that feel stuck and hopeless right now. So if you feel that you're in that spot, that stuck spot, no one looking around. Would you just, just slide your hand up? It's just between you and God. Just say, yeah, that's, that's me. Okay? Father, today, um, you know the hands that went up. You know the hands that just couldn't go up but still feel fearful and afraid and stuck. And Lord, I pray today that we would take a step of trust, a step of freedom, a step of hope with you. You've actually got a way through this. Yes, you're concerned about our heart and our spirit and our soul, but you have so much to say about the practical things in life, how we handle relationships and what we do with conflict and uh, how, we, how we work and how we go about our occupation and also what we do with our time and our resources and our money. Not because you want something from us, but because you have something for us. And I pray today, Lord, that you would give us a sense of peace and a sense of freedom as we take bold and courageous steps to trust you, moment by moment, day by day. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.